Hello and welcome to Second Look, the show where we pause and take a second look at things going on and at ideas in politics and culture. I'm your host, Benjamin Green, and I just got finished watching an episode of Psych, so I have to say I am very tempted to do this whole episode in Sean Spencer style where I just blurt out random things and then pause dramatically and let you draw your own conclusions. As fun as that would be for me, I don't think many of you would listen to a full episode, so maybe we'd just better proceed with the usual protocol. So, last week we had a really good talk with Evan and Kyle, also here from Outset. If you missed that, I think you should definitely... Uh, go back and listen to last week's episode. And last week, something kind of funny happened. I asked them to name what they think is um, their pet issue and then what they think is the most important issue facing the country. And I said that I thought the most important issue was the national debt. And then, like, Maybe five minutes later, I don't know, a few minutes later, I was correcting myself, <laughs> saying that I thought that the the biggest issue, the most important issue is national unity. And that got me thinking about this show as a whole and um, how how it all works and Quite often, I'm sure you all can tell, I come in um, with a small outline, but I just largely talk. And I talk to you, and um, I share my thoughts. And what that results in is a very contradictory picture (laughs) of what I believe. But at the same time, what what I mean by that is that, I don't know, something I said in episode 4, I might outright contradict in episode 28. Because since I started this podcast last March, my political opinions haven't always been the same. But what this show has done for me is it has I solidified, if you will. A lot of my opinions. I am a lot better established in what I believe and rooted in that than I was a year ago, right before I started this podcast. All this just to say that thanks for coming along with me on this ride as I figure things out for myself. Um, And hopefully I don't contradict myself too much, but when I do, please just know that it's because I'm still growing, still learning, and yeah, just a side note, I guess. You could call me a flip-flopper, but I'm not running for political office, so I think it's okay for me to flip-flop. Although if I ever do run for political office, this podcast could be trouble. Ah. Hopefully they listen to this episode. This Maybe I should title this episode Disclaimer, so that if I ever run... Okay, this is just getting ridiculous and hypothetical. Sorry, rabbit trail. Um, 
This week, I wanted to talk about some of my frustrations in the political arena. And some of them are specific to 2016 and some of them aren't. But I don't want it to just be venting. So I want to share some frustrations also on behalf of some of my friends that I've talked to. And one of the things that seems to be clearly bothering everybody about this 2016 election is how much words are being twisted. And there's a whole series of words that have become almost meaningless because of this election and the way people have used them. The number one that comes to mind is amnesty. Uh, It's been so twisted by um, Ted Cruz specifically. Also, I'd imagine Donald Trump has gotten in on that. Although, to be honest, I try not to pay attention to too many specifics of what Donald Trump says. Um, Amnesty doesn't mean much of anything anymore when it's being leveled at one senator from another senator who was being manipulative about the first senator's bill. Another thing is honesty. I've seen Donald Trump from a lot of his fans get a lot of credit for being honest. He says what he means. He says what he's thinking. He's honest with us. My friends, Donald Trump is not an honest man. Donald Trump likes to play a game, and he's playing it very well. And he's very, very, very good at being political. But as much as you might think he's speaking the truth to you, he's really twisting things in a very skillful way. And he does this over and over again. So the fact that I've seen Donald Trump lauded as being honest just kills me. And also, related to Trump, (laughs) we have the word electability. I think at one point I might have mentioned in the podcast that electability is important to me. That might have been back when I was still a Carly Fiorina fan, which I very much am not one of those anymore. See, this is what I'm talking about. I totally contradict myself all the time. Sigh. Um, But anyway, I... There's been a lot of talk about electability this election cycle, especially with Trump being um, the front runner for since, what, July now? He's been in front since right after he announced. He, he is positioning himself so that it's becoming more likely that he's going to be the nominee. I... We've come to the point where I think that I we're almost to the point where I would be surprised if Donald Trump weren't the nominee. So with that, what what makes someone electable? I have a lot of friends and family who are 
Rubio fans. Maybe not like diehard Rubio fans, but they like what he has to say. They agree. Um, They'll probably end up voting for him. And then I have some of you who are diehard fans. But with Rubio, I, I would agree with the assessment that he is electable. But I also have Trump fan friends who would say that Trump is electable. Well, what makes somebody electable? Marco Rubio is having a hard time winning the Republican nomination. I For a while there, it was seeming like he had some momentum. I, I actually declared on my Twitter account the day of the Iowa caucuses that it, it was going to be down to a two-man race between Marco Rubio and Rand Paul. <sighs> Requiem for Rand Paul. But but Marco Rubio is kind of struggling. He had that horrible, horrible debate performance right before New Hampshire, and he slipped a little bit there. And maybe he can do well enough in South Carolina to salvage it. Maybe he can't. I don't know. But what I'm the driving question I'm trying to get at here is what makes someone electable? We see that word tossed around, and is something that makes someone electable in the primary does that do those same qualifications make them electable in the general at least this year it's seeming increasingly not um i think rand paul i think marco rubio jeb bush um john Kasich, even maybe carly fiorina would all have been electable in the general election I think Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, and Ben Carson um, at in the general election are not as electable. They would have a very hard time winning the presidency of the United States, in my estimation. Shoot, we'll even throw Scott Walker in there. He, he dropped out so long ago, I'm almost forgetting about him, but he, I think he was a very electable person. But... All of those people I mentioned as being electable in the general election have struggled in the primary, have dropped out of the primary, Um, some of them. So what makes someone electable? Does the word even have meaning anymore? I am not so sure. And there's one word that is really, really muddled thanks to this 2016 race, and that is conservative. When we have Donald Trump up there being lauded as a conservative, and we... the the New Hampshire ABC News debate, the moderators asked him, what is conservatism? And he said, it's about conserving our money, conserving our wealth. To Trump, that answer, I think, was very telling. To Trump, it's all about money. It's all about a game. It's what it's always been for him in business, so I don't know why we should expect politics to be any different. Conservatism is about so much more than money. And um, 
A few weeks back, I was talking about Oakshot or Oakashot. I still haven't learned how to pronounce it, so I'm going to go with Oakshot because that's what I've said in my head reading it. Um, and his view of conservatism and how how it's more of a disposition rather than a list of ideas. And I like that view of conservatism because that um, that attitude disposition of conservatism is less susceptible to the winds of uh, public opinion than, say, Russell Kirk's 10 um, conservative principles, which, by the way, I think are fantastic. Uh, I just prefer Oakeshott's representation of it as an attitude rather than a set of principles. And I think this election in particular, when we have someone like Marco Rubio, who is unquestionably conservative on social issues and the right to life, being painted as not so by his fellow Senator Ted Cruz. But then at the same time, we have Marco Rubio being painted as a fiscal conservative when his voting record doesn't always support that. I... I don't know. The the word conservatism, I think, is losing its meaning. And certainly among independent, um, not party-affiliated voters who might not have devoted hours on end deciding what conservatism is in their head, they just hear the word conservative in the media. And I I really think it's lost its meaning. So that brings me to another issue for me. (laughs) And it's the fact that I don't fit in anywhere. This is not a complaint so much as it is a... I don't know, just an exploration. I don't fit in in the conservative camp because I am too libertarian. I don't fit in in the libertarian camp because I am too conservative. If we look at historical terms, I like um, the term liberal speaking classically. (laughs) But again, I'm not quite libertarian enough for classical liberalism. And if we look at other terms, Whigs and Federalists and I... I don't fit in anywhere. So this has gotten me on a kick lately where I'm researching um, just every now and then well-known historical political people who don't quite fit in. (laughs) People like Pat Buchanan, people like Ross Perot, um for for some recent examples but i mean historically teddy roosevelt i agree with the man on very little but he's he's fascinating because he just didn't fit in and one thing that strikes me about all of these people is that they fail miserably on, on a large scale 
That's not necessarily true. I mean, if we look at Teddy Roosevelt, he was president, but then his uh, progressive bull moose party comeback didn't exactly work according to plan. John Quincy Adams, he wasn't even an outsider by any means. He was definitely a member of what Carly Fiorina would refer to as the political class. But he was different enough that after one term, he was resoundly (laughs) defeated by Andrew Jackson. So... I suppose this whole episode is kind of a a soliloquy on why I'm going to fail if I ever go into politics. But no. I... I just... I don't know. I'm getting all weirdly introspective, and maybe it's because the time of day that I'm recording this. It's uh, later at night than I normally record. So... I'm getting into my internal thought process as my brain prepares to go to sleep. But I I wanted to share this personal struggle with you to find a group to fit in with. I was talking to a friend on Twitter this week. Um, It was uh, Danielle Butcher. You can find her on Twitter at Republican Sass. And we were talking about how we both want to be, like, gung-ho Republican. We want to be represented by the Republican Party. And just time and time again, the Republican Party fails us. (laughs) As we're both libertarian-leaning people, uh, although... My support of Rand Paul will never come close to equaling Danielle's support of Rand Paul. (laughs) She was the first, the the original Rand girl. Um, But but the, the Republican Party, it just fails to represent a whole wide swath of the country. It doesn't, um... I'd argue that the Republican Party as a whole does not do a good job of representing anybody. I know Stephen Perkins has talked about on his show before how he's involved in his local party stuff, but not at a national level. He won't give money to the national Republican Party, but he'll go out and table. I I suppose... I should say he said that at one point, if he's changed. Sorry, Stephen. But, um, <laughs> for misrepresenting you. But what do you do, like, when you're, a, it's a dramatic word, but disenfranchised. <laughs> it's a very dramatic word. I just can't think of anything better right now. What do you do? I And what, what? term describes me you all have listened to me babble on and on for this is this is episode 38 so for 37 and almost 38 because we're getting toward the end of this one episodes now you've heard me babble where do you think i fit in Uh, (laughs) what word do you think of to describe me Uh, (laughs) 
Let me know. Federalist, libertarian, loony, wacko bird, conservative, dispensational. Oh my. Let's not bring theology into this. Dispositional conservative. Theologically, I don't fit in with fundamentalists and I don't fit in with the evangelicals. So maybe I should just get used to not fitting in. But anyway... I guess this episode didn't have much of a point, and for that, I apologize. It was a little bit of a journey through some Benjamin rambling. Um, and it's kind of funny, because I did more planning on this episode than I have in a while, but I need to enlist Meredith, my wife, the the education major, to help me plan my lessons better, I guess. She's certainly written enough lesson plans. But despite the lack of a point, um, I just wanted to share this with you. This internal dialogue made external. If you're frustrated by the 2016 cycle... If you feel like you're not represented by any major political group, let me know. Because, you know what? You're not alone. <laughs> if if you think words are important, like the meaning of words are important, let me know. Because I'd like to hear someone else who agrees with me. <laughs> Now this is sounding just like a cry for help. Oh my goodness, maybe I just shouldn't have... Uh, Okay, we're just going to keep talking. But the last thing I wanted to talk about today is how sad I am to my very core at the death of Justice Scalia. I... (laughs) I have no words for um, what a great man, what a great justice he was. Um, He, I loved all of his uh, rulings. I I mean, you know, you don't agree 100% with everybody, but I... I, I'm not a legal nerd by any means. I don't have a habit of reading legal opinions, and yet I never got tired of reading Justice Scalia's, um, his dissents, or when he was writing for the majority, but especially his dissents. I just, last summer he talked, called, I don't remember if it was in the Obamacare court case or the gay marriage court case when he referred to it as pure applesauce. <laughs> and I I will surely miss having him on the bench and I am praying for the state of our republic because I do not find it likely that this president and this Senate will give us a Supreme Court justice even remotely near um, the giant stature of Antonin Scalia. He was a great man, a great justice, and I am really going to miss him. 
I think Rod Dreyer had a great piece on this in the American Conservative, just sharing about why he's concerned for the future of the country without Justice Scalia on the bench. If I remember, I will link to that piece in the show notes. This isn't the most positive of episodes, but I think it's accomplished the goal at taking a pausing and re-examining the political landscape without being too overly emotional. So I think with that, we'll call it a week. Thanks so much for tuning into today's episode of Second Look. I really appreciate the time you take out of your week to listen, um, even when sometimes it's just me rambling into a microphone with a little outline. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I have two Twitter accounts now. Uh, one is at BeGreenAZ, and the other is at BenjEngEng. <laughs> Also, make sure to follow my awesome editor, Stephen Perkins, at Stephen underscore Perkins, and Outset Magazine at Outset Magazine. You can find all of our podcasts at OutsetMagazine.com or in iTunes, where we hope you will rate them with five stars, because that helps us gain some exposure. Thanks so much for coming on this journey with me and for listening to this episode, and we'll catch you next time.